We'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read again from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. This is a prayer that we've been praying over our church, over our church, over our individual families, and over our individual lives. We're going to read from read this prayer from God's Word. We're going to continue to answer, set about to biblically answer a question that was posed to us about four or five months ago. If you look on your notes, this is part three of our surrender serenade. If you look on the notes, the first question, as a born-again believer, is the call to full surrender urged or commanded in the Scriptures? Is it something that God implores us to do or commands us to do? As a believer now, again, as a believer. This is not a call to salvation. It's a call to a deeper level of surrender. Even Pastor Dave used the word this morning, which is a good, way to, is a good word to use for it, a deeper level of consecration. Uh, a, a deeper work that God does in our lives that comes um, and the catalyst for that work is a, 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 a measure of surrender uh, that is almost like Abraham when he went up uh, Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22 and he was asked to surrender everything that God had vested his future promises in, his son Isaac, and he put it all on the line and that was his consecration time uh, for Abraham and in the life of a believer God arranges those times those moments of where he uh, does a deeper work of surrender in our lives does that deeper work of surrender come as is it urged by God or is it commanded by him and the reason that's important we'll get to in a moment because it's incredibly important how to answer that question let's have a word of prayer before we endeavor to do that dear heavenly father we come to you in the name of Jesus we praise your glorious name this morning we're thankful for your covenant love we're thankful that you're a covenant-keeping God. And we're thankful, Lord, as we've seen these songs, um, that our, uh, our redemption, you, we were redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. And Lord, we're, we're going to be reminded of that in a fresh way today as we participate in your supper. But Father, we are so thankful for this communion meal, not only for the work of the cross for us, but the work of the cross in us that you're doing right now in the lives of your people. And so Father, I pray that you'll take the truth of your word and you will transform us by it today. Not inform us, but transform us. And God, I pray that everything that we often bring to the scriptures, preconceived notions or baggage that we might, that we might bring to the scriptures that hurt us and hurt our ability to hear, that as, as, as close as we can get to it, I pray you'll strip it away this morning. And Father, let us let the Bible speak for itself, for it's your eternal word. And that you'll take this word and implant it and embed it in our hearts and bring about the change for your glory that it will most assuredly bring. In your sweet and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's go, let's go to Ephesians 3, 14-21, this prayer. And if you're physically able, will you stand with me? And uh, reverence of reading God's Word. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, 
to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so very much for standing. This is a summary, and we have to do this because this is the third part of this message. If you missed the other two and want to go look and kind of catch up, go back to the pod, uh, the web, what is it called? Podcast, and look at it that Spencer puts on uh, from a household of faith. But as a born-again believer, is the call urged or commanded? And we looked at, first of all, the book of Romans to examine that question. And we talked about how Paul, in his, if you look at the notes, in his introduction to his letter, he called himself a bondservant, he called himself called, and he was separated to the gospel. If you look in the right-hand column, he wrote to the church at Rome, that's Romans chapter 1, verse 7, and he directed it to us who are beloved of God, called saints, which means holy ones are set apart, sanctified, set apart. As Pastor Dave just read from the passage this morning. And we talked about how that that list, that, that introduction in Romans 1 1, which is where Paul's introduction comes into play, and Romans 1 7, when he's writing to the church at Rome, that those come across in the text, in the English versions, as a, as a progression. I'm a bondservant, I'm called to be separated to the gospel. Beloved of God, called to be saint. But to be is added for English translation purposes and in the original language in which it was written, it doesn't appear. So that means that Paul says, I'm a bondservant called separated the gospel. Currently. That's a, that's a list. It's not a progression. And I'm writing to people who are beloved of God called saints. Not called to be saints. We've talked about it time and again. There's either one or two categories you fall into this morning. You're either a saint or an ain't. If you've been born again by the Spirit of the living God, you're a saint. You're not going to become one. You are one. You're born into the kingdom with all the body parts. And those body parts mature over time, hopefully. But you're born with everything. If we have a believer in here this morning who's known Jesus for six months, and we have a believer in here who's known Jesus for 60 years, both of you are saints. You don't ease yourself into sainthood. You certainly don't get sainthood after you die by some prescribed set of rules that man imposes. We're saints. But the main difference in the list is found in bondservant as it relates to beloved of God. And we developed the, we developed the, the theme of this, that Paul's bondservanthood was rooted in his understanding of the love of God. And we talked about, and we went back and looked to see what the Old Testament example of a bondservant is. And we said a bondservant, in six years, serves his master under obligation, has to do it. In the seventh year, he's got options, and he can go free. And there's a, there's a prescribed pattern that says if he decides not to go free, then in stay and servant to the master, he can opt to do that, and they would take him into the middle of the camp and put an all 
in his ear and mark him an earmark that says he belongs to the Master for the rest of his life. And we talked about that. What would motivate somebody to do that? If you were in servanthood to a tyrant for six years and in the seventh year you could go free, what would you do? You would get out of there as quick as you possibly could. However, if you served a master who was benevolent and kind and good to you and your family, who took care of your needs and provided for your every need, what would you do? You'd stay. You'd stay and you'd stick around, not because of your character, but what you know to be of His character. That's the kind of servants God's looking for. God's looking for servants who take the time to believe and meditate on the goodness of God and what He's done for us in salvation. And in so doing that, that's how He recruits bond servants. And so what Paul was doing, look at, look at the outline here. The doctrine that he teaches the church at Rome, that he's going to teach the church at Rome, is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. And then the dutiful response to that doctrine is found in Romans chapter 12 through 16. That's the call of bond servanthood. What does a bond servanthood look like? And then the same thing, the same pattern we see in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we see doctrine. We call it the serenade because it's the song. It's the swan song issued by our Savior to call us to bond servanthood. And then in Ephesians 4-6, through 6, we see the dutiful response of the bondservant to the call. And we see the turnstile or the pivot in Romans 12-1-2 and 2, and Ephesians 4-1. It's like the turnstile that, walk, that you walk through from mediocre Christian living to a brand new experience predicated upon a deeper level of commitment and surrender for all the right reasons. You understand that the reason those books were written, doctrine and then duty, is because doctrine and an understanding of what God did through His Son in purchasing you and I is what leads to deeper levels of surrender. And then when it's done on the basis of what He's done for us, it's motivated for all the right reasons. Now, if you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 and Ephesians 4, 1, the word beseech is used there. Let's go look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Can you go to the left? And this is the turnstile. This is where we walk into a brand new level and a brand new deeper work that God does of full surrender, full throttle surrender in the life of a believer. And we went through this and we said, look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's what he's saying. Based on the 11 chapters that precede what I just said, therefore, based on this wonderful truth about how you were purchased and justified by faith and you have a hope of future glory and in between your justification and the hope of future glory, I'm conforming you into the image of my Son through a process I call sanctification. I'm setting you apart. I'm calling you into my bosom. I've wrapped my loving arms around you. I have justified you. And if God justifies you, who is He that condemns? 
you can't take it to a higher court. The Supreme Court of the universe has spoken and said those who repent toward God and put their faith in their Son are justified by the Holy God. Hallelujah! Amen. And he said based on that, the, the turnstile, the pivot, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he doesn't say, I command you. He doesn't say, I command you to surrender. He, it's an exhortation. It's an urge. It's a call. It's, a, it's an encouragement. That's what that word means. The reason is, is because if you want to move on in to what God has for you, and you want to put the earmark on your ear, and you no longer want to be a believer on parade, but you want to be a believer engaged in the battle, this is the method, this is the turnstile, and there is no other way. You know what much of Christian counseling involves? Much of, much of Christian counseling is this. This is the question. Nobody asks this question because they'd be embarrassed. But this is the question. Pastor, how can I continue to live in sin and carnality and rebellion against the Holy God and enjoy the benefits of full surrender at the same time? And you go, you know what? I don't have an answer for that. How can I avoid the cross? How can I sidestep God smashing me crushing me under the weight of everything that doesn't look like His Son so that I'm fully conformed to the image of His Son. How can I avoid the cross? And you know what? Before you can get a resurrected life, you cannot avoid the cross. We've talked about it time and time again. There's the work of the cross for you and we're all for that. But then once you get in, then there's the work of the cross in you. And then we go, whoa. Hold on just one minute. The turnstile is Romans 12, 1 and 2. The turnstile is Ephesians 4, 1. Go look at it. it these, these, these verses appear in the same place and in the same context of both these grand letters. We've talked about it time and time again. And it says this, 4, 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, what? It's the same word. It's the same underlying Greek word. It's the same word. To walk worthy of your calling with which you were called. Give it up. But give it up for all the right reasons. And what's that preceded by? It's preceded by a prayer. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. Ephesians 3, 14-21 where he says, I want you, please, God, would you help them to understand what is the width and the length and the breadth and the height of your love which surpasses understanding so they might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then I beseech you, brethren, when you begin to understand that, I promise you this, things like this, and you won't, God won't have to get it out of your hand. You, he's not like that. He's not going to do that. God doesn't need that. Especially, no, He didn't need that. But God doesn't need that. And it's not going to be this kind of thing like this. It's going to be like this in light of the cross and what you accomplished for me, that you spilt your son's blood in my place, and that me, who had nothing in me that was worth redeeming, brought you nothing but bankruptcy. I, I, with empty arms and brokenness and repentance, said, Jesus, have mercy on me. That's the only thing I did. That's the only thing that you did. Have mercy on me. And through His Son's spilt blood, He says, I'll have mercy on those who ask me and who come through my Son. I'll flat do it. And because He had that mercy and grace on me, because He purchased us, because we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, because we've been accepted in the Beloved, because we've been filled with all the fullness of God, because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, because we have received 
receives forgiveness of sin, the redemption through the blood of Christ, because of all of those reasons, now walk through the turnstile. Son, I beseech you to. I'm recruiting bond servants. I'm recruiting bond servants. The Muslims do it through a machine gun or a sword. Jesus does it through a cross. Look at the motivation. Look at our notes. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's the mercy of God, Ray. And it's the love of Christ in, in Ephesians 3, 19. We talked about this time and again, but I've so desired that we as a church, myself and the rest of us, get this. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through uh, 15. For the love, what? 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 Of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What's the motivation? It's not love for Christ, it's the love of Christ. We talked about it time and again. You cannot deeply love until you know you're deeply loved. We view it to be a risk to love somebody because we're anxious thinking, if I don't get it in return and I get burnt, I'm not trying this again. There's some of you out there right now. You've drawn lines and you've placed limits. I went that far and I got burnt and I ain't going there again. I'm just going to go through the routine of Christian living. I'll dress up like a Christian. I'll act like a Christian. I will, and, and probably are a Christian. But I'm going to draw parameters. I'm going to draw a fence. I'm going to draw a circle. And here's what I'm going to say to Jesus. That's as far as you and me are going to go. And that is predicated upon a fundamental misunderstanding of the love of Christ. Because see, wherever you draw the line, you are not willing to trust that your, His love can be found on the other side of it. Let's look at some of, the, let's look at some of it. Let's look at it in Ephesians 3, 14-21. Let's look at it right here. What does it say? What does it paint a picture of? It says in Ephesians 3, 19, 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height of the love of Christ. you know what that is? Look at our notes on the next page. What does it form? Look at the height. How far does His love reach? It reaches to the heavens and beyond. Look at the depth. The Bible says He is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through Him. It's been said before that God can save the guttermost to the uttermost. Praise His name. As a former gutter dweller, I can give you a testimony of that. It reaches down to the lowest as you can go. You will find it. I don't care if it's a bum on the street, somebody who's been discarded and thrown under the bus, a drug addict, or whatever it might be. Or somebody maybe who's got all those addictions but just have, are able to dress better and just carry around the same thing. It goes there and beyond. Challenge Him. I dare you. Stretch Him. See if you can go to a place where you can't find God's love. The width, it is, you know what? There's no partiality with God. Aren't you grateful for that? He doesn't play favorites. The gospel has, has to be from God because it's for everybody. If it, for, if it were for men, it would exclude somebody. Because that's how polluted and sorry we are apart from Him. No, it's for everybody. What's the width? It stretches from one time zone to another. How big is it? Let me tell you this. 
Try this one home for size. He said, you know what? Cast your sins away as far as the east is from the west. You look at a globe. You go to east to west, they never meet. You go to north-south, they meet on the poles. But east and west never meet. Hey, God's thorough. He's complete. That's how wide. How long does it go? It's for eternity. His mercies endure how long? Aren't you grateful that we're not going to get up into heaven and 10 billion years from now go, God go, ah, my mercy expired. And every one of you are going to be expelled. Aren't you grateful that they extend beyond your greatest failure? Aren't you grateful that wherever your greatest failure is, God says, I've upped the ante. My love goes further. You know why? How do we know of the love of God? Look at 1 John 3.16. That's a good, that's an easy verse to remember if you just tag number one to it. John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. You got questions about love? I've got questions about love? They're answered in the cross. By this we know love because He laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We've talked about it time and again before. Agape love is being willing to lay down our life for the spiritual benefit of others motivated by the agape of God. We've got surrender and salvation mixed up. We, 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 we preach surrender and salvation as if they're one and the same, and they're not. Salvation is repentance toward God and belief in Jesus Christ. Period. Period. Repentance toward God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Period. If it's anything beyond that, it's a work. And if it's a work, it's no longer grace. If it's no longer grace, it's no longer free. And if it's no longer free, we're all in trouble. Surrender is post-salvation. If we preach salvation any other way, we have jaundiced it. We have made it something that we've got to do. Can I tell you this? Salvation is 100% God and 0% you. Did you just read it? Or did, you just, did you hear what we said? He, he sought me. He's the one that sought me. He's the one that purchased me. He's the one that gave me the faith to believe. He's the one that opened up my heart and convicted me. He's the one that I can say this morning with deep conviction and truth, Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And He's not a good way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. And the only way that I can make that confession is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Absent Him, couldn't do it. Hallelujah. Now it's 100% Jesus is zero you. That's, you know what? The highest and greatest and purest form of worship is when we come in to realize that. Because we come in and gather together, we're not celebrating me and Jesus. We're celebrating just Jesus. <coughs> look, at our, look, at our, look at our notes. Our surrender as living sacrifices does not secure our salvation. That's the fill-in. It does not secure our, our salvation. Listen, friends, it may give evidence of it, but it does not secure it. Careful now. Let's be careful right here. Let's watch it close. Watch it close. Christ's surrender to the will of God the Father secured our salvation. And our belief in His finished work is the means through which we receive Him as Savior and Lord. It's what He did, not what He and I did. 
It's what He did. Can I say this to you? For years, for years in our church cultures, we have preached Romans as if it begins in 12.1. For years in our Christian experience, we've preached Ephesians as if it begins in 4.1. Ephesians, this is going to be a great spiritual truth for you this morning, and great insight that I have been afforded. Ephesians begins in 1.1. And guess what? Romans begins in 1-1. And then when we begin to understand what He's done for us, by the time you get to 12-1, you're going, goodness gracious, you're calling for me to all in? Hey, put it in. If this, if this is what you did for me? This is what your mercy means? This is what I used to be? And this is what you purchased? Your love is like this? This is it? That's it? And Jesus stripped naked before the whole world and it's God saying out loud, I've got nothing else to give you. But what I gave you is wholly sufficient. Hallelujah to His name. Let me tell you something right now. You just go through everything that's in Ephesians 3. And the first three chapters are 12. Uh, Romans uh, 1 through 11. We're studying the book of Romans all throughout the church. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that by the time you get to 12-1, even before, wrestling with surrender is going to be a non-issue if you really get it. Wrestling with laying down your rights, wrestling with laying down your future, wrestling with things that you used to wrestle with, wrestling with love, loving people who are difficult to love, wrestling with marriage relationships. That's what we do a lot in marriage. I'm going to stick around because I don't believe in divorce, but I can tell you this, I'm only going to go that far. I'm only going to go that far. And I've got a limit right there. And if you're calling upon me to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, if that means the following, count me out. If you're calling to me to submit to my husband and afford him the submission that my Savior deserves, and it means this, count me out. And we and we and we go, oh, but my goodness, and then we got all this guilt for not making those surrender decisions. And the reason the guilt's imposed is because we don't understand the work of the cross. We don't understand what was accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of God's blessed Son. It's the love of Christ. Look what it says here in Colossians two twelve, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised from the dead with him through what? Watch this. Through faith in what? Faith in what? The working of God. It's our faith in what Jesus did. Not what me and Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. That secures your salvation. And surrender comes as a serenade from the harp of heaven. The best music you'd ever care to hear, Chris, that's perfect, right on pitch, coming from heaven, and God's singing a song. Son, look what I did to buy you. Daughter, look what I've done to buy you. Stretch me. Challenge me any way you want. I'm going to put you in relationships where you're going to be challenged. I'm going to put you in relationships where you're going to find it hard to love somebody. Let me ask you a question. Now, just, just be honest, really. Religious games aside, don't try to be religious right now. Is there anybody in your life right now that you are having a hard time loving. Is that it? 
Really? I'm, really? I'm t- and I'm t- anybody in your life, there's a stretch for you. Is that all of us? Uh, everybody who raised their hand along with me, we need to go in this room in here for some counseling. <laughs> Can I ask you this? Have you ever been in a situation where you found it hard to love somebody? Come on now. We give love to people who give it in return to us. And that's real easy. Jesus said that. You get no credit for that. Everybody does that. He said, but you love people who despitefully use you. You love your enemies. You love people who get on your nerves. You love people who cut you with their tongue. Have you ever known somebody in your life that every time you're around them, they're going to give you a zinger? Boom! And as soon as they open their mouth, they're going to cut you to pieces. And the Bible says to what? Cut them back. Dear friends, the motivation, the means by which we receive His finished work, John 1.12, but as many as received Him, to them He gave right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. We receive, believe, and become. That's our part. And that's all a gift. In the finished work. The truth of the matter is, though, because Jesus surrendered, it opens up the door for me to. I'm empowered to do it because He did it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can I tell you this? Can I share with you this? In life and being around Christendom for a long time, if you, there are people in the body of Christ and maybe in this fellowship right now who are struggling with surrender or trying to live a surrendered life and you're doing it to appease guilt. I just got this thing and it's sticking on me. You know, I got something on me the other day and I forgot where we were, but we were in a place where you're not supposed to do this. Like a wedding or something like that. That's when things like that happen to me. You know, and I got something on me and I couldn't get it off. And I just like that. You can't do that. You have to sit there and just be aggravated, you know, the whole time. And we've got this, you've got this guilt. You've got this something in your past that you're just trying to shake off and you're doing everything you possibly can, including trying to surrender your life fully to Jesus in order to appease guilt that was already taken for, taken up for at Calvary. Hey, do you understand? Hey, there's some of you that want to surrender to Jesus. To, to, listen to this. Listen to this. You, in your heart of hearts, do an examination. Let the Holy Spirit really examine you. You're trying to convince God to love you. Can I tell you the secret? You want the secret? Here's the secret. The people who genuinely surrender, surrender because they're convinced God loves them. You ready for that? Full surrender comes when you come to the point, and I come to the point, we're convinced of the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Then you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And walking in a manner worthy of your calling will not be a miserable attempt on your life to somehow or another convince God, will you please love me? It'll be because you are convinced He does indeed love you. It won't be to deal with guilt 
that you've not yet carried to the cross. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're about to do it right now. We're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And please don't let's don't do it routine. We do it the first Sunday of every month, but please let it not, let it not, let it not be a routine. Let it be special and fresh every time we do it. Please let that happen this morning. But can I tell you this? Listen to me. Every one of us need a renewed appreciation of how completely satisfied God was of the sacrifice of His Son. God is fully impressed with His Son. God's Son did it right. God's Son was offered a concoction before He went to the cross that would have numbed His senses. And He turned it down. And he said no. And they didn't do that because they were being kind to him. But they would do that to crucifixion victims because it would numb them down. It was a narcotic. And it would numb them down so that it would be easier to nail them to the cross. Because don't you imagine it's probably a hard thing to do? It's to nail somebody to the cross. You think you'd squirm a little bit? And he turned it down. You know why he turned it down? He turned it down so that the enemy could not mar his death and say, aha, they drugged you up and took your life. You didn't lay it down. He was under the full control of the Holy Spirit. He was under control of all His faculties, if you will. And He did lay down on that cross. And He did it without a squirm, like a sheep being led to the slaughter. His redemption for you is perfect. He is an unblitting lamb. Check Him out. Look at it. He's been examined through the years. And God spoke from heaven and said this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Praise His name for that. Aren't you grateful for that? You know why? Because those who repent toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's the same edict from heaven that comes down concerning you. That's my Son Al in whom I am well pleased. Is that because Al always acts well pleasing? No. It's because all the merits of Christ have been gifted to Him. That will elevate your living. And that'll, you know what that'll do? That'll spark something new in your worship. I can tell you that right now. That'll spark something new in your worship. You know what? We need to get a lot less dignified about our worship. You know what? Man, we're here to celebrate. The tomb is empty. He's alive. He's coming back. God decreed. Sacrifice accepted. You are not guilty. Did you hear that? You're not just forgiven. You're not just pardoned. You are not guilty. You're in right standing with God through the gift of His Son. This is the catalyst for full surrender. To understand that. Amen.